Welcome to Great Stories in American History with Rebecca Price Janney. In honor of the release of my new novel, Morning Glory, this story comes from the first great awakening and an unusual friendship. The colonization of America began with a company of dedicated Christians determined to bring the gospel to the New World. By the opening years of the 18th century, however, zealousness had waned like an old moon. Then God sent a powerful revival, a movement known as the Great Awakening, that swept throughout the entire eastern seaboard. One book says, Not one colony or county was unaffected by the Great Awakening. Intermittently, but over the entire decade of the 1740s, it raged through New England, the Middle Colonies, and the South. Through the preaching of Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, David Brainerd, William and Gilbert Tennant, and especially George Whitfield, Americans were beginning to discover a basic truth, which by 1776 would be declared self-evident, that in the eyes of their Creator, all people were of equal value. The following story centers around two men who became friends during that incredible era, men used by God in profoundly different ways to prepare the way for the coming of the American nation. Although Benjamin Franklin is not remembered as a Christian man, God used his considerable array of talents to help establish the new republic. The inventor-statesman was raised Presbyterian, but left the church as a young man, largely because he found the sermons so dull. One pastor challenged him to attend his services for five Sundays, hoping to effect a change. At the end of that period, however, Franklin remained unimpressed. Actually, he echoed the frustrations of many on both sides of the Atlantic, that the Christian faith as expressed in the established churches had become merely a form of religion, lacking God's power. Franklin believed religion's place was to help people know what was right and wrong, so they could do their best to improve themselves. George Whitfield, the key figure of the Great Awakening, saw the matter differently. All people, he contended, are sinners who cannot by strength of will improve themselves enough to win God's favor. That comes only through confessing one's sins and need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will separate the redeemed from the lost at the final judgment. Whitfield may have seemed an unlikely friend for Benjamin Franklin, but they became close during the preacher's stay in Philadelphia. The two men had much in common. They came from humble backgrounds and became celebrated as adults. They were fairly close in age and enthusiastic about life. Both of them deplored the deadness of colonial Christianity. The 25-year-old Whitfield arrived in Philadelphia, then the largest city in the American colonies, in the fall of 1739. 
a nonconformist preacher who was derisively called an enthusiast by some, Whitfield preached about sin and salvation, heaven and hell. He employed his powerful voice and fervent gestures to call upon people to exchange head knowledge of Christ for knowing the Savior in their hearts. He made violent gestures, danced about the pulpit, roared and ranted, greatly to the delight of the common people, who were tired of gentlemanly, unemotional sermons from college-bred ministers, writes Samuel Eliot Morrison. His messages were simple, direct, and taught the basic doctrines of being born again or being justified by faith. But to people who had not heard this clearly explained before, it was like a lightning shock to the heart. I am persuaded that the generality of preachers talk of an unknown and unfelt Christ, Whitfield explained. The reason why congregations have been so dead is because they had dead men preaching to them. How can dead men beget living children? Benjamin Franklin was just as curious as the next person to see and hear this new preaching style when Whitfield came to town. Franklin wrote, The multitudes of all sects and denominations that attended his sermons were enormous, and it was a matter of speculation to me, who was one of the number, to observe the extraordinary influence of his oratory on his hearers, and how much they admired and respected him, notwithstanding his common abuse of them, by assuring them that they were naturally half-beasts, and half-devils. His delivery was so improved by frequent repetitions that every accent, every emphasis, every modulation of voice was so perfectly well-turned and well-placed that without being interested in the subject, one could not help being pleased with the discourse, a pleasure of much the same kind with that received from an excellent piece of music. On at least one occasion, however, the pastor's message penetrated Franklin's heart. The two men had disagreed sharply over Whitfield's plans to build an orphanage in the Georgia colony. Franklin considered the project foolhardy because it would cost far more to transport the necessary men and supplies to Georgia than it would to build the orphanage in Philadelphia. Whitfield prevailed. Franklin recorded, I happened soon after the dispute to attend one of his sermons, in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with a collection for the orphanage, and I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistols in gold. As he proceeded, I began to soften, and concluded to give the coppers. Another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that, and determined me to give the silver. As he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and awe. 
Franklin went even further in his support of Whitfield's ministry. He printed the Englishman's sermons at his shop on Market Street and housed the minister in the apartment above it. And when Philadelphia's pastors continued to turn the vibrant Whitfield from their churches, Franklin bought a house expressly for the use of any preacher of any religious persuasion who might desire to say something to the people at Philadelphia. Although Whitfield prayed ardently for his friend's conversion, Franklin said in his memoirs, Whitfield never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Other seeds planted took root, however. Whitfield's discussions of his travels in the colonies and his keen interest in Georgia in particular helped Franklin to regard the disparate American provinces as parts of a whole and to see that we were a people chosen by God for a specific purpose. As the years passed, Franklin and Whitfield remained friends, frequently corresponding with each other. However, the inventor-statesman never gave his life to Christ. Right at the end of Whitfield's life, when Franklin was famous as diplomat, inventor, philosopher, and writer, he had still not been prayed into the kingdom. Brave enough to experiment with electricity, he did not dare expose himself to the lightning of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining me for Great Stories in American History. To order a copy of my latest book, Morning Glory, a novel of the First Great Awakening, please visit my website, RebeccaPriceJanney.com. Thank you.